Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to New Books in Caribbean Studies. I'm Dan Levesey. Today, I'm speaking with Marlene Doubt, Associate Professor of African American and African Studies at the University of Virginia. We'll be discussing her new book, Baron de Vate and the Origins of Black Atlantic Humanism. Marlene, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So as the book's title suggests, uh, or indicates at least, this is a close examination of the Baron de Vate. Um, for anyone who's unfamiliar with him, could you give us a quick biography of who he was? Sure. So um, Baron de Vate is probably the most well-known writer um, from early early 19th century Haiti. Um, He was a former free person of color uh, who was born in colonial Saint-Domingue in an area called Eneri. And um, interestingly, he had a white French father from Normandy. Um, who had emigrated to the colony in 1769. And his mother was a free woman of color. um, And her name was Marie-Francoise Elisabeth Dumas. And she was actually the daughter of an extremely wealthy white planter um, from Marmelade. And um, she was considered a fille naturelle, so an illegitimate daughter, quote unquote. Um, And they had several children, among whom was uh, Jean-Louis Vaté, who would later become a baron under Henri Christophe. And initially, um, Vate writes in this sort of famous letter to Thomas Clarkson uh, that he fought under Toussaint Louverture in Haiti's War of uh, Independence or during the Haitian Revolution. And uh, so one of the things we learn is that this is this is true, that he, he was in the French military um, and under the command of Louverture. Um, but he was um, in the Marais Chaussée. He was one of the people who was force, forcibly conscripted into the military. And I think this had a really kind of profound impact on him because um, in one of his writings from 1815, uh, he talks about um, feeling uh, a part of France um, and then suddenly not feeling a part of France anymore once uh, Leclerc and Rochambeau institute this sort of genocidal policy aimed at really eliminating all of the people of color in the colony. And so whereas Vate had been educated in Rouen, uh, uh, up until at least probably the CZM, uh, so sort of middle school years, um, and where he felt himself to be quite wealthy. Um, his mother, although she was uh, considered an illegitimate daughter, had actually uh, been married in a church uh, to Vate's father, a, a white French uh, colonist as well. And um, and and so he felt himself sort of aligned with French people. And then suddenly during the revolution, uh, that wasn't the case anymore. And he talks really poignantly uh, about joining the side of the Armée Indigène, Dessalines Army, um, and, and essentially fighting with the Haitian people for independence uh, and subsequently becoming a part of Henri Christophe's government um, after 1807. And, and you sort of know that, that his biography is sort of a challenge to um, to organize. What were some of the difficulties in, in trying to figure out that history? Because I think, as you mentioned in the book, um, uh, it, there's a lot of different characters to have to to assess and, and different uh, 
Vitez. So what were the what were the challenges in kind of constructing his biography? Yes, there were many and sort of many false starts and errors and um, just sort of cases of mistaken identity because, um, you know, you you think of the name Vate and you think, well, this isn't a very common name. So, you know, sort of what troubles are we going to have figuring out who this person is? Um, but the historical record um, had written that his surnames were Pompe Valentin um, and, and so then the last name of Vate. But it turns out uh, when I went into the archives, um, the um, overseas archives in Aix-en-Provence to sort of try to find his baptismal certificate, to try to find a record, uh, some record of when he was born in the colony, um, that the name listed on this baptismal certificate with his date of birth that we knew um, was Jean-Louis Vaté. So then the question becomes, well, how do we reconcile this Pompe Valentin Vaté, who's written about in the histories uh, ever since the sort of 1830s or so, um, and, and likened to the same baron that we know now, uh, and this other person, Jean-Louis Vaté, who this is the first time we've heard this name associated with the baron. Um, and so it sort of took a lot of peeling back of layers to determine whether all of the sort of poetic writings published in France under that name, Pompe Valentin Vaté, were written by the same person who came to be known as, uh, under that name in Haiti, uh, most likely mistakenly, um, and, and who had written all of these diatribes against the French government, against colonialism, uh, all of these historical um, writings about Haiti. And so, so ultimately, um, just, just in a process of investigation, and, uh, and uh, Vate has a um, biographer, Lohan Kevili, who published a very good biography of him, um, detailing sort of why he thinks that these are two separate people, Jean-Louis Vate, who is the Baron de Vate, and Pompe Valentin Vate, uh, who was also a poet in metropolitan France. And so that biography um, really helped me to sort of plug in some of the holes um, in, in the research that I had done into the archives and to allow us to separate out uh, these two people and really these two names. Um, and so we can kind of try to figure out now moving forward, um, what, what were the rest of Vate's movements like? Are these the only works, the works we know of, these 11 kind of um, pamphlets slash essays and some of them longer um, sort of book length works. Um, are these the only ones or are there others? And now that we we have the correct name, I think we have a uh, we have a good way to move forward in terms of trying to figure that out. And what just to get into the details of um, when Vate was writing and especially his importance um, to Haiti in the early years uh, after Haitian independence. Um, I, I know maybe some listeners might be sort of familiar with the details of of the sort of post-1804 Haitian experience, but it's a sort of complicated history. And and could you just identify the kind of important people um, in Vate's world in terms of who he was uh, kind of united with and, and maybe um, sort of the political organization that he was aligned with uh, after 1804? Sure. So after 1804, of course, Jean-Jacques Dessalines um, is going to be emperor of Haiti. And uh, Vate writes um, in his essay, uh, Sur les causes de l'histoire d'Haïti, um, that he worked for Dessalines under André Vernet, who was the kind of minister of finance um, in this first iteration of the Haitian government. And so uh, Vate was, was then Vernet's secretary. So he had a role in the very first administration, um, uh, the government of Haiti. Um, 
after Dessalines is assassinated in October of 1806, there's, as you mentioned, this kind of complicated history um, where the, the, the National Assembly kind of comes together and creates this provisory government. And they name Henri Christophe uh, as the president of this provisory government. They issue a new constitution in December of 1806. But not long after this, um, Christophe is going to defect from this government to not submit to the, their authority. He's going to flee to the north and set up his own government and, and issue another constitution uh, for the northern part of Haiti in February of 1807. And um, Vate is also going to be very involved in this government because André Vernet sort of goes with Christophe, so becomes uh, a member of Christophe's government and Vate follows. And then his sort of ascension after that uh, is quite interesting because in the first armorial of Haiti, um, when, when Christophe changes uh, from a president, from calling himself a president to calling himself a king and creating a monarchy, Vate is not listed as a member of this nobility. Um, but certainly by 1813, Vate has become a baron. He's now listed. And by the first almanac um, that was published in 1813, and it bears the date of 1814, uh, Vate is listed as having sort of all of these new responsibilities, um, including being Christoph's primary secretary, essentially. And his responsibilities kind of only grow in the subsequent almanacs. We find him um, listed as the tutor to Henri Christophe's son. We find him as a person um, who is also in charge of the family records. We find him also sort of very interestingly listed as a, a player or an actor in the royal theater of, of uh, Haiti in the northern part. And so he had kind of all of these very interesting roles. Um, it, like formally, but but then he's also kind of simultaneously publishing uh, all of these writings. So he publishes response to uh, the Baron de Malouet from France, or he publishes his most famous work, uh, Le Système Colonial des Voilés in 1814, and on and on until, you know, by the time of his death in 1820, he has published these very distinct um, 11 different kinds of works um, in Haiti. But so that's kind of his political and uh, intellectual trajectory kind of on the same map there. Yeah, and that's what I think the exactly where you come in to try to resurrect what he was doing intellectually and politically. Um, and so there's a lot to, to kind of talk about from the book, because he's not only discussing uh, these sort of political issues, but he has a very sort of broad ranging approach towards issues around colonialism and, and slavery. Um, before we get into maybe some of the details, I'm wondering if you could just kind of talk about what you thought uh, Vate hoped to accomplish as an author, especially one who was writing in the post-independence period. Definitely. So, I mean, he very much saw himself as a member of the Haitian state and writing on behalf of the Haitian state um, in a very kind of formal role. But he also viewed a, that himself to have a duty a duty to dismantle pseudoscientific theories of race, which were, of course, extremely popular in his day. Um, but also something that I think um, has troubled scholars a little bit, which is Vate's excessive focus, especially, especially in uh, Le Système Colonial des Voilés, on slave tortures. And one of the reasons that he focuses so much on what is happening to people with black bodies under slavery and colonialism is because he views himself as refuting 
French and European travel writing in general that would wanted to describe scenes of dance and and transcribe songs, um, and that also used pseudoscientific theory to suggest that the people they were describing were not fully human. And so he very much saw his role as proving on the one hand that Black people were human, proving on the other hand that they are equal, but also sort of um, parallel with that, proving that the nation state of Haiti deserved to exist um, and that it was a valid uh, form of governance that only Christophe had chosen. So there is a very much, there's a very much a project of having to vindicate Black people in general, Africans even more generally, but very particularly also the Haitian state and in relationship to Alexandre Pétion's rule in the south of Haiti to vindicate a monarchy versus uh, the republic uh, that that Pétion had established um, in Port-au-Prince, essentially. And this is, uh, you know, one of the things that you notice how, in some ways, he his writings are are kind of ahead of their time, or or at least uh, sort of unique compared to other. Um, sort of authors of the African diaspora um, in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. Um, and so maybe we can kind of talk about some of those d- ideas in more detail, and then we'll kind of get into the literary component of them, which I think you you flesh out really brilliantly. Um, but could you sort of talk about the ways, or maybe some of the specifics about issues around race and slavery, even sort of Haiti in particular? Um, I mean, you talk about how he's invoking the dead, um, he's naming brutal planners by name. Um, he's kind of talking about the inability to even discuss what slavery was. And so I wonder, just in terms of its content, but maybe also in, in terms of his style, um, how he was perhaps distinct from other Black authors at the time, or maybe even just other observers of slavery and imperialism. I think that there, that he really is distinct in a lot of ways. Um, not distinct in the sense of that he doesn't belong in the same kind of genealogy as you know his predecessors, um, Phyllis Wheatley, for example, or Olada Equiano, um, but distinct in the form. Um, because as you just mentioned, Vate says he's talking to the dead. He uh, he had not been enslaved himself, so he didn't have um, personal experience of feeling what that was like and having to live under it. But he certainly lived on a plantation where we know there was a lot of brutality um, against slaves, because one of the things we learn in the uh, Vate biography written by KVV um, is that uh, is that they had a that there were multiple plantations, um, that they had a lot of slaves, and that Vate's father wrote home to his brothers to describe how he whipped his slaves to force them to comply. But beyond that, even before we had any knowledge of these letters, in Les Affiches Américaines, the the newspaper of colonial Saint-Domingue, there are descriptions of quote-unquote runaway slaves from um, Vate's grandfather's plantation talking about the whip marks and the scars on their bodies. So there is a way in which we can sort of read these advertisements designed to bring these runaways back to the plantation, but we can read the descriptions of their bodies and find out that a lot of the slave tortures that Vate describes, that 
he may have witnessed uh, these punishments firsthand and or have heard about them firsthand. Um, so, so I think that's one thing is that his desire to collectively tell this story that he doesn't need to say it's based on my personal experience um, of, of actually having experienced these whip marks, which will also distinguish him from later um, black writers like Frederick Douglass, for example, or William Wells Brown or, or Harriet Jacobs. Um, but what makes him sort of similar is this desire to argue against slavery. So there's an abolitionist element to all of his works and his argument to uh, end the slave trade. And these two things together um, are are another thing that even though it seems like it would align him with prior black writing, actually distinguish him a little bit. Um, because there were very few early black writers who actually argued for both the end of slavery and the end of the slave trade. And in fact, even abolitionists often tied their cause to one or the other. It was very hard to conceive of ending the entire institution of slavery. Um, but Vate writing from a black state that is independent, that is free, that is outlawed, not only slavery, but also color prejudice and banned imperial rule has a, a framework that is really very radical for his time period in being able to see how all of those elements, slavery, racism, and colonialism worked together to harm Black people and actually to occasion their deaths. And, and this is precisely the point of many of his early works, is to describe how those three, three, three things together operate to oppress Black people, so that eliminating just one of them would not be enough. Do you think then he was reflective of what a lot of the kind of uh, Haitian independent thinkers were articulating at the time? Is he in some ways pushing those ideas ahead of where some of his colleagues were at? Um, I mean, is there a sense of could you contextualize just how radical he was within the Haitian context? I think, I think certainly the way that you talk about him in the book, he certainly seems sort of far ahead of many other writers at the time in terms of deconstructing ideas about race and um, and slavery. Uh, where do you situate him in terms of, of Haiti generally? Is he on sort of the vanguard of some of these ideas or is he just sort of reflective of, of maybe this, this very new uh, ideology that's coming out of independence? I think um, that, he, that he is very much a vanguard um, because even when, or perhaps especially when we look at later 19th century Haitian writing, Louis-Joseph Janvier, for example, or Demis Valdelon, that because there was a distance from France that had occurred at that moment, in the late 19th century, there is an openness to once again considering France as this sort of seat of civilization from which Haitians can uh, both, co they can collaborate with French authors, they can work together with them, they can learn things from them, and that they share this French language in common. Now, Vate, in the early 19th century, where France is still considering and attempting to retake their former colony has no such romanticism for France and is able to see not only how French colonial history continues to threaten independent Haiti, but how problematic it is already that the French language is what he has. Now, he's, he's not going to go so far as to say, to make an argument for Haitian Creole. 
like we'll start to see in the later 19th century and certainly by the early 20th century. He's not going to go that far. Um, he actually says, you know, my biggest regret in life is that I never learned English. And I've, I've often read that as the desire to rid the country of the, the colonial language. And this sort of hint came a little bit earlier um, from Louis-Félix Boisson-Tonnerre in his um, 1804 memoir uh, of Haitian history. He calls it a memoir pour survivre à l'histoire d'Haïti. Um, and he talked about how this language, that everything reminded them of colonialism and slavery and of the violence of the, the Haitian Revolution, the violence that, that the French had used against them during the Haitian Revolution, because all everything they had to say uh, was French, all of the words, their vocabulary. And so, so Vate comes out of a little bit of a genealogy and sort of wanting to push back against the French language that is going to fall away in later periods in, in which the idea of the language itself is not going to appear as threatening. Um, but also Vate's arguments for black sovereignty. So as a member of the Haitian state, one of his um, sort of jobs, if you will, is to defend um, the Haitian state, which often comes out as a defense of Henri Christophe. But there are so many passages in which this is a defense of the idea that Black people can be sovereigns in the Americas. So, of course, Vate is very well aware that there are plenty of sovereigns, and he talks about this in, in the history of the continent of Africa. Um, but in the Americas, of course, uh, Haitians stood alone, and he's quite aware of this. And this is the part that is uh, remarkable in terms of how he convinces uh, British and even U.S. abolitionists and a couple of French abolitionists to begin to argue for Haitian sovereignty and, by extension, Black sovereignty, and also to support and um, and 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 make arguments for a monarchy in Haiti. And especially the writers from the U.S. context. We might not be as surprised that the British writers are willing to entertain this as a form of governance, but writers from the northern United States saying Haitians can choose to be governed in any fashion that they want. That that is what true democracy is, is that it reflects what the people want. Now, whether or not what the people in Haiti actually wanted what is a monarchy or not is a completely separate question. Um, but certainly, um, Vate's writings were actually able to convince people that this didn't, this didn't make illegitimate, um, Haitian governments on the face of things, just the, the very fact that they had a monarchy. Well, and maybe I could push you a little bit more on that point, because I think it's a really interesting one, which is how he was received at the time, um, bearing in mind that he had such sort of progressive ideas. Um, w was there a strong reaction against him? Were there a number of people who uh, 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 saw in his ideas uh, um, a sort of new way of thinking about um, black republicanism or black monarchicalism or just black rule in general? Oh, certainly. So interestingly enough, one of the biggest pushbacks he gets is, of course, going to be from Alexandre Pétion's Republic and writers associated with that republic, um, namely Jusoli Milsan and Noël Colombel, um, who are the two principal uh, most famous writers from, from Pétion's Republic and later Boyer's Republic. Um, and they are his most 
hardened enemies. And they will use his writings along with the writings of Juste Chanlade and, and Julien Prévost and other writers from, from the north of Haiti. Um, they'll use their writings to try to attack Christophe. So one of the arguments that they make is that, you know, Vate and these other writers, they just are writing whatever Christophe tells them to write, that they are not actually writing from any kind of intellect or aesthetic um, desires. Um, and, and that, that these, works are completely mercenary, that this is how they sort of fill their purses with money, keep their jobs, and and Columbell will say, and keep their lives, that that they need to write these things in order for Christophe to not execute them or, or exile them. Um, but in terms of support, so it's interesting that that in initially the biggest detraction sort of comes from within Haiti itself on the other side of the island. But support was widespread for Vate during his life. Uh, U.S. newspapers, British newspapers report his works. They provide book reviews. They use his uh, his statements sometimes without quotations. And we can sort of like go back and compare. And it's an exact quote from Vate. Um, and, and many of them talk openly about how Vate's writings prove that Black people are human. They prove that Black people should be sovereign. They prove the worthiness of the monarchy. Of course, in France, things are slightly different. We we don't find as many reviews of Vate's works. Um, those we do find are a mixed bag. There are those who say, you know, Vate's, you know, he's under the influence of an extreme rancor against France, so we can't trust anything that he says. Um, and then simultaneously, uh, Antoine Metral and the Abbé Grégoire are saying Vate's the most important writer uh, to come out of, of Haiti. Um, after Vate's death, however, which essentially happens coterminously with Christophe's suicide, it happens shortly afterward, his execution, um, a whole sort of um, cadre of writers will come out of the woodwork to then defame Vate. And one of the interesting things to me about the writers who came out of the woodwork after the death of the king, after the execution of Vate, um, is that they were using a very similar language to that we find in the works of Columbell. And um, I think that Columbell's uh, writings about Vate and Christophe really had a big impact on the way that French writers and French historians wrote about the monarchy and wrote about Vate. And there were also some British travelers who lived um, in, in the kingdom and lived in Haiti under Christophe. And many of them did not have positive things to report about Vate as a person, although recognizing his kind of superior intellect and, and clearly that his works were extremely important. Um, but they used this idea that he wasn't a very good person and they would tell these sort of anecdotal stories about whatever it was that they claimed he did to say, well, this means we can't really trust trust his writings uh, also. And that kind of fascinated me that you really saw that tension of, well, I saw him do X. So so therefore, I'm not going to be able to engage with his with his works anymore, even though I recognize, you know, how um, important and well written and theoretically sophisticated they are. I don't like who he was as a person. Um, and so and so it's an interesting thing to sort of go kind of decade by decade with, well, how's Vate? Um, viewed in this era and to see when he kind of fell away in the late 19th century, but then came back in the early 20th century, um, particularly for U.S. African-American writers like W.E.B. Du Bois and Elaine Locke and, um, and, and, and Mercer Cook and a few others.
And I want to get to the the legacy in just a couple of minutes, but I wonder just to, if we could kind of um, talk a bit more about what his writings were like in terms of their literary components. Um, uh, you know, you're a, a literary critic, and I, I wonder if you could kind of talk about maybe some of the, the, the at least Matei's uh, importance in terms of a literary genre. And, and you talk about these testimonials and sort of the ways in which there's um, a particular style of writing that he's connecting to. And I, I wonder, kind of as a, a literary theorist, what you see as being one of the elements of importance of Vate. So yes, I mean, his writings are extremely difficult to classify. Um, you know, other scholars have pointed out that these diatribes against Christo, uh, against Petion, excuse me, that are embedded in his attempts and Vate's attempts to, to, um, defend Christophe and to legitimate Christophe, that, that this is a hard thing to kind of reconcile. Um, not only, uh, genre wise, like what genre is this when you are, you know, arguing against uh, another kind of sovereign ruler in the same country, essentially? Um, what genre is that? How do we square that with really what are these theoretically rich and um, kind of discursive analysis type debates where um, similar to an Aimé Césaire or a France Fanon, closer to our own era, Vate takes a, a French writer and he deconstructs their argument and he shows the contradictions and he shows the prejudices and he shows how the vocabulary they're using is designed to obfuscate rather than illuminate um, the subjects they're talking about, which happen to be black people and, and Haitians particularly. Um, so I think on the one hand, there's an, there's a kind of, um, discourse analysis, uh, that's very close to some of the writers associated with negritude. Um, there's also a historical element. So one of the things that interests me is how Vate has not really been associated with early attempts for black people to write about slavery. So in the vein of, you know, what W.E.B. Du Bois does in his doctoral thesis, what Anna Julia, Julia Cooper does with um, the, the French and Haitian revolutionists, what these sort of early um, Black and U.S. African-American historians did, or, or even a William Wells Brown from earlier, which was to try to write Black history. It was interesting to me that Vate wasn't um, as much associated with that genealogy after the 20th century, essentially after the, the Harlem Renaissance was over. And so I think there's there's an element in which we can place his works very distinctly in the camp of history, that these are early histories and a very early history of, of Haiti, early histories of Black people. Um, and then, as you mentioned, there's this testimonio type element that is really kind of before his day. It predates Jules Michelet, the famous French historian, saying that, you know, he's going to talk to the dead and be able to really tell us what they want. Um, and Vate um, essentially, you know, makes the case that he's kind of doing this um, ethnography in a way. But of course, it's an ethnography of the dead. And so talking to the dead is one element of it. But he also says really fascinating and interesting things like, I'm going to ask their ashes. I'm going to awaken their souls. I'm going to ask their ashes. I'm going to interrogate their bodies. And I can look at people's mutilated limbs and I can tell you stories about how that came to be. And, um, and the people that he is naming are real people. Um, the newspapers that reviewed Le Système Colonial des Voilés 
talked about how hmm, maybe we should think differently about this family that's moved into Baltimore from from the former colony of Saint Domingue. So he really had an effect in terms of he could he was he was actually putting them on trial. He couldn't really. He wanted to. That's what he says. I want these people to be on trial. I want them to pay for what they've done. He couldn't put them on a sort of legal trial of war crimes or something, but he certainly subjected them to the trial of public opinion by listing these dozens of names. Um, And so in that sense, approaching a kind of testimonial type narrative, but also, you know, not really distinctively kind of making any claim that that would allow us to say, well, this is definitely the precursor to to what emerges later in the 20th century to be called the testimonio. But testimonial, you know, is definitely um, a significant aspect of his work. So I would say, uh, essentially, in those kind of three realms, um, uh, discourse analysis, writing of history, and then also this kind of new methodology, whereby he created a new form, also a collective testimony of what happened uh, under slavery in colonial Saint Domingue. That's and that's really uh, fascinating, and I, I think um, that's probably a good bridge to get into some of the legacies uh, around his writings. Um, and the last two chapters that you have in the book uh, really get at um, sort of plays and sort of fictionalized accounts, or at least you know reconstructions. Avate's life, at least within the context of the of the Haitian Revolution and Haitian independence. Um, before we talk about that, I just want to ask about you, you mentioned that for even modern day observers, even some scholars, uh, Vate is is a really controversial figure, and um, you you kind of put that within the context of of maybe a still enduring trend to isolate Haiti um, within a kind of historical or literary study. And so maybe I'm asking too many questions at once, but I wonder if if you could just sort of talk about the ways in which even modern day scholars have kind of disparaged his writings, uh, perhaps because it's too much of a of, of putting Haiti into a kind of isolationist bubble. Um, so I hope that's clear. I don't know if that's that's too unwieldy, but no, absolutely. I mean, so one of the things I I claim in the book is that. When Columbell calls Vate a mercenary scribe, those are Columbell's exact words, right? He's a person who writes what he's told for money, is the way I sort of think that think of what of Columbell was charging him with. That when we look at what later um, 20th century uh, writers, beginning in the 1970s, when they, like David Nichols, for example, first began to read Vate again, it was almost as if they had kind of adopted this language, right? Without really examining it. They were, they were just like um, uh, many of those British uh, writers I mentioned who lived under Christophe and then told these tales after about Vate. They were recognizing the importance of his work. They knew it was avant la lettre to, in many respects. Um, but there was this question mark about, well, what kind of person is this? He argues for a monarchy and everyone knows that a monarchy is repressive, right? I mean, so this is sort of the narrative. Um, and... And he, so he argues for a monarchy and that he also is not writing out of his own sort of mind and volition and interests that, so that may, means it's propaganda. So these are the most often, the, the most, uh, the, the charges that we hear most often. He's a propagandist where he's a publicist, um, that he is this mercenary scribe, even that repeated, um, and that this makes it difficult for us to be able to um, understand him as a kind of an autonomous intellectual, um, as a philosopher, 
uh, as someone who fits into established genealogies of, of Western philosophy, Western ways of history telling and sort of Western in quotation marks. Um, and what I talk about in the book is that I think that Columbell's charge has something to do with that. I think that the case of mistaken identity also has something to do with that. But I also think that race has a lot to do with it. Vate was a phenotypically white writer who called himself black. Um, observers say he had white skin and red hair. Um, and so for Vate as a person, just thinking about his sense of him, his own self, right? He uh, refers to his mother as this African who gave me life. He argues that a black king should be the sovereign of Haiti. And he presents a paradox. He pre presents a paradox of one who is quite circumspect about the fact that he was related to uh, to these slave owners, to plantation owners, um, that he may in fact have owned slaves himself as a young man that he sort of inherited when he got married to his first wife. Um, and I think all of these things have made it difficult to fit him into both the genealogies where you have that kind of autonomous intellectual writing against the state, like a Rousseau or a Voltaire, often getting themselves in trouble, and of Black writers like Frederick Douglass, who had been enslaved, who never joined the, the uh, antebellum U.S. state. And Vate, on the other hand, joins the Haitian state, which has all these trading ties with uh, indirectly or directly the United States and England, two other countries that continue to have slavery. Um, and so this makes it very difficult. I mean, is he really a radical um, if he's working for the state? And, and what does it mean to be radically, to be black and radical in the early 19th century? And so I think that is one of the, one of the reasons why contemporary scholarship continues to uh, sort of use a little bit of the vocabulary of the past in describing Vate because we feel like we have such uh, many more sort of um, iterations of black radicalism that are truly radical. But one of the things I say in the book is, you know, Aimé Césaire, he became the mayor of Fort de France for a really long time. Léopold Sédar Senghor, uh, of course, in Senegal, um, becoming the president. So um, that that it isn't as if the world would never see this paradox again. And what I want to do is I want to try to understand it and, and understand it on its own terms rather than terms in which I set the limits in advance and decide that anything that doesn't look like that won't, won't be called black radical. I want to sort of let, let my understanding of the works and, and his history and the Christoph monarchy kind of just move through the narrative itself. And then we can draw our own conclusions, of course. Um, but, but I hope not kind of already pre-described ones uh, that, that limit the definition of what is black and radical um, in the early 19th century or, or even now. And I wonder if some of that has to do with um, the presentation of Vate uh, in these kind of mid 20th century plays and even sort of uh, toward the end of the 20th century as well, um, in which Vate is being um, uh, portrayed in the context of the Haitian Revolution. Um, and and that, that's a, a good chunk of the, the last part of your book. Is are the the playwrights um, and the authors who are writing about Vate in the mid twentieth century kind of setting the stage for some of that critique? And and what is it that they're portraying when they're when they're casting Vate within this this drama of the Haitian Revolution? 
So that is, I mean, I became just kind of so fascinated with this Vate on stage idea, this, the attempts to perform his life as a part of these um, plays that were about the Haitian Revolution in the early to 20, early 20th century. So basically at the very end of the era of the Harlem Renaissance and then really kind of moving into uh, the more contemporary period, um, René Philoctet writes a whole play about him, Monsieur de Vate. Um, and there, so there is an isolationist aspect, which you, we, you sort of asked me about in the last question. There's an isolationist aspect to talking about Haiti in the quote unquote black radical and black aesthetic tradition of the 20th century um, that I kind of found mirrored the way that people often had discussed Vate uh, in his own era, roughly and beyond, but also the way that people in general kind of taught, had talked about Haiti, sort of recognizing its radicality, recognizing really the significance of Haitian independence in that world. Um, but also at the same time, kind of pointing to all of these limitations. Well, there's a history of civil war. Well, there's a history of sort of constant changes of governance, um, particularly after the period of Faustin-Souluc in the 1840s and 50s, um, and that this kind of instability, well, what did it mean? What does it mean for how we can think of Haiti as radical? Um, and I think that Vate, as he became a part of these plays, interestingly enough, began to operate that role. Um, I was fascinated at the way that Authors wanted Vate to say all of these things that that would cri criticize Haiti because, um, of course, Vate himself never did that. Um, only to criticize um, a slightly Toussaint Louverture, a tiny little bit Dessalines for calling himself an emperor, and of course Pétion, who was the the rival uh, sovereign. Um, but in terms of Haitian independence as a whole, Haitian people certainly not. Um, one of the things, Vate has this very poignant statement when he says, you know, when rulers make mistakes, it is always the people who suffer. So the idea that Vate um, was, is portrayed as being against the people in some of these plays is, to me, just sort of suggests that he became a character at the moment when he was being read less. And so, because on the one hand, I thought, well, maybe this is how people were reading his works and they wanted to kind of translate that into their plays. But one of the things I show is, you know, not to say that, oh, the playwright's contradicting something that Vate wrote and Vate would never say this, you know, because as a literary critic, it, that isn't actually as important to me as what it means that they needed to imagine Vate being the one who criticizes Christa that they needed to imagine Vate fantasizing about killing Christophe, right? And so even the historian in me says, well, Vate, that never would have happened. The literary critic in me wants to know what does that mean? And that there's this attempt to try to isolate and use Vate and his sort of um, amazing intellect, which is recognized in many of these plays, um, to, to isolate the king. And uh, I think metaphorically on a broader scale to isolate Haiti because Haiti becomes this sort of problem in the imagination. So these writers are from, you know, Martinique and they're from St. Lucia. I'm thinking of Derek Walcott and they are in this liminal space of, you know, being a part of these larger metropolitan empires and, uh, and, and yet seeing what happened to Haiti 
after the end of its relationship, its formal relationship with the metropolitan empire. Um, and so one critic says, you know, maybe are they worried about that Haiti's fate could become their own, um, that that Haiti becomes a, another site of fear, um, except not in sort of the white antebellum U.S. imagination, right, um, as in the 19th century, but a site of fear for post-colonial um, Black writers, particularly from the Caribbean, in the 20th century as it seemed inevitable um, that, for example, the British Caribbean would would become independent. And I wonder just um, if you don't talk as much about this in the in the book, but but what is uh, Vate's legacy in Haiti today? I mean, do you is he still discussed quite a bit within the context of Haitian history? Um, how do Haitians feel about him? That's an interesting question. So um, Vate has started, I would say, very recently to appear more and more Um Jean Casimir republished um, Vate's Le Système Colonial des Voilés with a with a short introduction, and uh, there are um, some Haitian historians, um, intellectual historians, who are starting to turn attention to him as well. Um, now, um, what's interesting to me is that sort of in the 80s and 90s, when I look at, you know, Michel Gauthier's work or, um, and, and other, um, historians like him who were living in the United States that I really don't find much mention of Vate. Um, and you find much more mention of later, uh, mid 19th century Haitian historians like Thomas Madieu and Beaubrun Ardouin, for example. Um, but I think Vate is having kind of a moment of resurgence in, which is to say that Let's let's go back a little bit further and see how was the Haitian historiographical tradition um, developed. What were some of the ideas, and and particularly, I hope, I mean, this idea of the testimony and talking to the dead, which of course then became extremely popular as a way of doing history in general. Um, just the sort of metaphorical idea that when you're in the archives, you're kind of talking to the dead and listening and 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 saying and crafting a narrative and and being a mouthpiece in a way that that Vate um inaugurates that certainly in Haiti. And the question would be, well, when we compare what happened in early 19th century Haiti to, you know, how is the United States telling its early history um, at this date? How is uh, England telling its early history at this date? So I think that's what we sort of need more of is just people from a variety of different intellectual traditions and diff different disciplines uh, talking about Haiti. Um, and certainly I would love to see more um uh, Vate uh, talked about in in uh, contemporary Haiti, but I and I do think that it's happening, um, and and I think it's happening more and more now. Well, it's great that you have kind of helped to resurrect uh, his ideas. I think it's really fascinating to learn more about him. Um, uh, just to kind of close off, I, you know, you've been publishing a lot lately, so you might need a little break. But I'm wondering if there if you have a new project on the horizon that you've just started to work on, or uh, anything that you're particularly interested in. I do. I'm, I'm, I actually have this project on, um, Haitian intellectual history broadly. So thinking about 19th and 20th century, uh, Haitian intellectual history and sort of it connects to the last question or my answer to the last question in the sense of I'm really interested in how, um, Haitian authors writ large, those who were writing his histories, those who were writing novels, poetry, you know, how did they compare themselves and how were they compared and how did they fit in with, with uh, the broader world and the broader attempts, particularly in the Atlantic world, to write national histories, to make arguments about 
what national history looks like, what a national literature looks like. Um, and so kind of taking a comparative um, perspective, uh, to, uh, bringing a comparative spe- perspective rather to Haitian intellectual history, um, situating it within a global history of ideas, but also really kind of zooming in on some of these key thinkers who I find um, fascinating in the way that they're talking about things that we're still talking about today. Is race a social construct, or is it a biological fact that there, that, that Haitian uh, historians and ethnographers are tackling this question in the 19th century? A question that we find very relevant in our own era, um, and and asking about archival method. So some of the feuds in mid 19th century Haiti among the historians were about oral history versus you know official archives and which one got you closer to the experience of the people and i think that um that these are debates that kind of are really before their time to, in, in a certain respect but also completely relevant to thinking about questions of how history can and should be written today and uh, so that's that's the next project sounds great i can't wait to, to read more about it um well again the book is baron de vate and the origins of black atlantic humanism uh, and marlene thanks so much for joining me today thank you very much for having me it was a pleasure